Hi, welcome to Web3 Nerd, a podcast for all things Web3. I will endeavor to unfold the concept of blockchain for the technical and non-technical minds alike with insights into the leading projects in the space so that there is little to no barrier of entry into the blockchain technology even for the common man. I'm your host Ablaziz Kamil, pseudonym Abu Julebib. As a disclaimer, I'm not an investment advisor. Hence, everything on this channel is for educational purposes only. Do your own research and anything that sounds too good to be true, then probably it is. So let's get right in. We'll be continuing with the fourth part of the audiobook recording of Polkadot for Beginners, a non-technical guide to decentralization, blockchain and Polkadot by G. Bachi. The previous episodes were more generic, explaining decentralization and blockchain. From now on, the book focuses on Polkadot. If this is your first time tuning into the show, I highly recommend that you listen to the previous three episodes to catch the audiobook in its entirety. Enjoy! Chapter 1. Into the Dot Polkadot at first glance can be difficult to understand. Some are instantly put off by the unfamiliar concept of a blockchain with no smart contracts connecting other blockchains. The few that make it past the initial confusion have to contend with other layers of complexity. On-chain governance, forklos upgrades, parachains, crowd loans, auctions, cross-chain messaging, and more. Some determined few make it past this point, aided by the videos of Gavin Wood explaining the ecosystem design on YouTube, the white paper, Polkadot Wiki, and other helpful resources. What they all find at the end of this intellectual expedition is that Polkadot is much more than a simple blockchain. Every blockchain network inherently seeks security, but this is not an easy task at all, since security refers both to network security and economic security. It is expected that 1. The blockchain is heavily decentralized with few or no high-value attack vectors like central computers that store sensitive information. This translates into getting many miners or validators to verify transactions on the network. If there are too few, they could collude and harm the network. 2. The blockchain has a market capitalization large enough to make attacking the network economically difficult. For example, if a blockchain has a market capitalization of $15 million, obtained from multiplying the token price by the total number of tokens in circulation, Anybody who can afford to gamble $15 million could potentially take control of the network. Also, if one person owns a lot of tokens, they could crush the price of said token by selling all theirs at once and then buying them back when they are cheap. This manipulates the market capitalization of the network. In a proof-of-stake network where the total number of tokens staked on the network equals the cost of attacking that network, such manipulation might be difficult. This is because although you might have $15 million, it will most likely be very difficult to find enough people to sell you $15 million worth of tokens. In summary, launching a new blockchain is not easy. How can we run a variety of blockchains and still have the same level of security across the board? That is the first problem that Polkadot aims to solve by creating a heterogeneous multi-chain environment that other blockchains can plug into and therefore benefit from its already established security. In other words, Polkadot creates a solar system where all planets, the blockchains, benefit from the energy, you know, the security of the sun, Polkadot's relay chain. The second problem concerns interoperability. As I explained in the previous chapter, 
DeFi, decentralized finance, grew exponentially. $50 billion in total value locked in under 15 months because Ethereum enabled seamless interactions between smart contracts, leading to fascinating new use cases and a bull market cycle. Think of it this way. Each smart contract is a house that can be accessed by all the servants of other houses in the country, the blockchain. Thus, if a baker needs butter, his servant can run into the cook's house and get the butter without seeking permission. In the real world, this would be called theft. But because the house itself is a smart and connected device, it knows that the butter is being borrowed by the baker's servant and that it will eventually be returned. This is an overly simplistic illustration of what happens, but it does explain the basic processes. Things and people work better together, and blockchain networks are no exception to this rule. If you think of each blockchain as an internet service provider, then it becomes easier to understand why one blockchain might want to deal with identity, another with content, and others with banking, gaming, privacy, and so on. The possibilities become endless like it used to be with Web1. It is irresponsible given the potential of blockchains not to take advantage of the opportunity to create richer interactions between different specialized blockchains, and this is where Polkadot comes in. Similar to how transmission control protocol or the internet protocol connected different nodes to create the internet, Polkadot is connecting blockchain networks, essentially becoming a network of blockchain networks. So what is Polkadot? At its core, Polkadot is a proof-of-stake layer zero blockchain that connects other blockchains. Polkadot's goal is to optimize scalability, interoperability, and shared security of all its connected networks. We will consider each feature in turn to explain what the core problems are and how Polkadot solved them by design. Shared security. To address the issue of multiple isolated chains and splintered security, Polkadot provides a framework where various chains can share security operations. Instead of relying on each layer one blockchain to provide its set of validators to secure its network and a token with a large enough market capitalization, these chains can all leverage the security of Polkadot, the layer zero protocol. In practice, if Polkadot is sitting at a $10 billion market capitalization, then each new layer 1 blockchain that deploys on Polkadot is economically secured by this same $10 billion. On top of economic security, the chain will also gain network security from Polkadot's large set of validators. This is a first in blockchain technology, a feat never seen before. Interoperability This is the highlight of Polkadot's layer 0 protocol, but previously seen what dApps can do when they communicate with each other freely. Now we are talking about what will happen when different blockchains effectively integrate each other into their daily operations. It may be hard to picture at this point in time, but it will surely become easier once we get to chapter 5 on parachains. For now, just remember that a large part of Polkadot's design is about ensuring interoperability between heterogeneous layer 1 blockchains. Scalability Blockchains will never be able to bring greater fairness and inclusion if they don't scale on a global level. Polkadot's solution to this issue is to use sharding, which allows the network to run different transactions in parallel. For example, Ethereum as it exists in 2021 is a single shard network where transactions were processed one after the other and every node needs to store data from the entire blockchain. In a single shard network, all transactions, although very different in nature, will be carried out in the same shard. Whereas, 
in a multi-sharded network, transactions would be executed in parallel within their respective shards. In this case, each shard corresponds to a different blockchain, such that DeFi transactions are carried out on DeFi shard, while NFT transactions are carried out on NFT shards. Again, this is an overly simplistic description of what happens, but it should help you make sense of scalability processes. On Polkadot, each layer one chain is able to customize its network for different use cases, thus tackling the problem of scalability in an open-ended context with efficient parallel computation wherein the network is processing different kinds of transactions on different nodes. In this way, a layer one chain focused on decentralizing identity will not need the same system design as one which is focused on decentralizing finance. Thus, the network is made more scalable by 1. Ensuring that each network or parachain is optimized for its use case and 2. Running different transactions in parallel. For example, let's say you have 1000 nodes verifying the validity of transactions on your network. In a single shard model, all 1000 nodes will be processing the same transactions. In a four shard model, the nodes will be split into four groups of 250 each. Each group of nodes will then process different types of transactions. Group A would focus on transactions from the identity chain, while Group B will focus on transactions from the finance chain, Group C from the governance chain, and Group D for the data chain. In this way, we still have 1000 computers, but we are doing a lot more because of how we have chosen to arrange them. Forkless upgradability I lied, chain interoperability is a highlight of Polkadot's design, but it is not the only one. Remember the problem between Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, or the rift between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash? They happened because the original or conical chain needed to upgrade its core protocol through a hard fork. A fork, as the name implies, offers a different path to stakeholders at a specific point in time. Forks may seem like a desirable feature in a network, but consider for a moment a country that splits every time its citizens have a big argument on the outcome of a vote. This country will get smaller as more people leave, losing a chunk of its original human capital each time. Of course, given that blockchains are analogous to digital nation states, forks aren't very ideal for long-term growth. For the long-term prosperity of the network, it is imperative that the community finds a way to resolve disputes and upgrade protocols without putting itself at risk. Thus, Polkadot allows for Polkadot upgrades and we will explain how this is done in Chapter 4. For now, it is enough to have an overview of some of the key features that make Polkadot special as we will go over the technical design of Polkadot in the next chapter. Before that, let's talk a little bit about the Polkadot's ecosystem agent of chaos. A brief note on Kusama, the agent of chaos. Although this book speaks exclusively of Polkadot with no mention of Kusama, it is important to understand that the two blockchains are deeply connected, both technically and conceptually. Kusama is often regarded as a live test network for Polkadot, but this is not the case. Kusama is an independent and full-fledged relay chain with its own auction schedules, parachain candidates, governance, and communities. Kusama spearheads development in the Polkadot ecosystem. As such, every functionality deployed on Polkadot is first and foremost deployed on Kusama. Kusama is a wilder version of Polkadot that exists primarily to safeguard Polkadot from experiencing unexpected disruptions and real-life behaviors. And so, the main difference between Polkadot and Kusama come down to the speed of implementation and tokenomics. Because Kusama's governance system runs four times faster than Polkadot's, 
and also because the Genesis system of KSM is a hundred times smaller than that of DOT. For this reason, Kusama's tagline that the community has quickly adopted is expect chaos because there is no telling what will happen in the wild and experimental world of Kusama. While this book doesn't explicitly reference Kusama by name, it should be understood that every mention of Polkadot includes Kusama by default. The decision to focus content of this book on Polkadot was mainly to avoid burdening the reader with too much information. But if you ever want to refer to both Polkadot and Kusama ecosystem in one word, the term Dotsama will suffice. Chapter 2 The Network Polkadot is often criticized for being complicated, and that is mostly true. That said, this complexity is built upon simple technical architecture which consists of only two main parts, relay chain and power chains. The relay chain is the central hub all power chains connect to. This short chapter will focus solely on the relay chain. Power chains will be covered in chapter 5. Relay chain. To visualize the purpose of the relay chain, imagine a circular pipe to which many other pipes connect. These connecting pipes could be of any shape and provide any functionality, so long they use the same rules as the main pipe. The primary function of the relay chain is to provide shared security and interoperability to all its power chains. To do this, the relay chain itself first needs to be as secure as possible. I mean, how can you lend your security forces if your own security is compromised? To understand how the relay chain preserves its own integrity over time, we need to consider two key aspects of blockchain networks. A public blockchain is a sought-after environment because no one controls the flow of information, whether verification or retrieval, that is exchanged on it. This means that a majority of network nodes must agree on the validity of new block before it is created and connected to the chain of blocks. But how do nodes come to an agreement on which transactions or data are valid? This happens by a process called consensus. The full details of the relay chain consensus mechanism will be too technical for this book. So what is offered here is an overly simplified explanation. The current implementation of the Polkadot relay chain uses a hybrid consensus mechanism, meaning that it combines proof of stake with proof of work to get the best of both worlds. As a general rule, there are two processes to blockchain consensus, namely block production and finality. Block production refers to the process of creating new blocks, while finality refers to the process of verifying and sealing blocks onto the chain. The Polkadot relay chain, like all decentralized blockchain networks, attempts to solve a few problems through its consensus. These include 1. Robustness in the face of collusion by bad actors, such that all it takes is a few good actors to preserve the integrity of the chain. This means that if there are only a few honest nodes, less than 50%, the integrity of the chain will still be preserved despite tampering by corrupt nodes. Second, speed of transaction inclusion and verification for scalability. Third, network resilience such that it doesn't go down frequently or at all. And lastly, higher degree of decentralization so that no group of network participants has full control over the network. To ensure the successful implementation of these solutions across the board, the relay chain uses a babe and grandpa. A detailed explanation of both protocols is not necessary for our presentation on Polkadot and has been relegated to the technical appendix. Next, we will consider how the relay chain gets its security from validators, nominators, and collators. 
Chapter 3 Securing the Network Having understood the technical design that facilitates technological security, we can now turn to security. How does Polkadot guarantee its economic security? To answer this question, we will dive into staking and the various roles available within the network. The philosophy of staking. Decentralized networks achieve collaboration between many individuals by using the concept of game theory to design a system where there are roles, responsibilities, and incentives to align the actions of all network participants. This is one of the primary reasons why tokens are necessary for many decentralized systems. Economic rewards are the ultimate incentive mechanism. For Bitcoin, it is BTC, and for Ethereum, it is ETH. Thus, the strength of a blockchain's security isn't solely determined by the quality of its code. It is also defined by the quality of its incentive and token design, which at the core is game theory. For example, all miners on Bitcoin creates and verify blocks for a reward in BTC. In a proof-of-work system like Bitcoin, the network roles are few and limited to miners. This is because the network only needs nodes, bitcoins, and users. In a proof-of-stake system, in addition to nodes, the network needs users who will put down some stake to secure the network. Remember the proof-of-stake blockchains rely on both technological security and economic security, so that the environmental impact is offset by economics. A proof-of-work blockchain's security is only as strong as the number of nodes securing it, whereas a proof-of-stake blockchain's security depends on its number of nodes and the value of its stake with stake being its economic value. Thus, the process of securing the network in a proof-of-stake blockchain is called staking. There are two key advantages of proof-of-stake over proof-of-work. 1. Proof-of-stake has less energy consumption compared to proof-of-work. This is a crucial point because our technologies are having a great impact on climate change. For example, Data on record has shown that the seven warmest years in the 1880 to 2020 period have all occurred after 2014. And second, proof of stake offers greater involvement of the community in network security, thus achieving greater decentralization. This is because proof of work shifts the responsibility of network security towards technically savvy people with the means and the skills to run a node. Over time, this inevitably results in increasing levels of centralization. There are three types of participants working on securing the Polkadot network, validators, nominators, and collators. Validators. Validators in Polkadot are like miners in Bitcoin. They run nodes that process and verify transactions, create blocks, and store the history of the blockchain. Without them, there will be no network. The key points to note are, one, they provide the physical infrastructure on which the network runs, and two, they have to ensure that they are always online when they need to be, particularly when they are the ones to create a new block. The process is as straightforward as acquiring the relevant computer equipment and rolling Polkadot's code. Once a node is deployed, most routine operations can be automated, while validators can focus on troubleshooting and maintenance of connectivity. For their efforts, economic and physical, validators are rewarded in DOT tokens. The total number of validators on the network is a parameter that can be adjusted based on network demand, starting with a few and now reaching 297 as of January 2022. The goal is to reach 1000 validators. One may look at this number and wonder if it's enough to support decentralization. 
especially when one considers that Bitcoin has over 20,000 miners and Ethereum 1.0 has over 10,000 miners. To understand why 1,000 validators is sufficient, we need to keep in mind how Polkadot's consensus works. By selecting validators at random through the block production module BABE and keeping the information about block validation separate, Polkadot limits the possibility of collusion between validators. This procedure is also secured by the premise that all validators must compete at once to validate individual blocks. When it is said that Polkadot targets 1,000 validators, it doesn't mean that there can only be 1,000 people qualified to become validators. Rather, it means that block production and verification will be handled by 1,000 validators at the same time, while every other validator will act as a validator candidate. In the end, a low number of validators is useful not only for reducing our carbon footprint but also to achieve scalability. If there are 13,000 validators and two-third validators in the active set must agree, that is those currently participating in network consensus, then each transaction will need to wait on roughly 7,500 validators before being processed, which will inevitably slow the network. The goal of decentralization isn't to have as many validators as possible, but rather as many network participants as possible. It is all about ownership, power, and authority. This is where proof of stake is a much more desirable system because many people don't have the same means or the skills to run a node. If the security of the network is only provided by validators or nominators, then a large portion of the community will be left out. With proof of stake, the average Joe who knows nothing about computers or coding can play a central role in securing the network and also earn rewards. By contrast, Proof-of-work blockchains tend to lead to the centralization of ownership, power, and authority around techies and mining gear operators. The main objective of a proof-of-stake system is ensuring that the staking mechanism in place foster greater decentralization. To understand how Polkadot achieved this objective, we will explore the role of nominators. Nominators If you are reading this book, then it is more than likely that you are or are looking to become a nominator. A nominator's role in securing the network is much less technical than a validator's. This is because nominators are only asked to lock their tokens in support of validators who will do the heavy lifting of running the nodes. Because the bond required to become a validator is high, currently 1.4 million dots, validators need to secure ongoing support from a large number of validators' tokens to qualify for their role. When rewards are paid to the validator, a portion of those rewards go to the nominators. The exact amount is ultimately based on the total number of tokens staked and the commission percentage set by the validator. Unlike many proof-of-stake systems which force nominators to burn all their tokens with a single validator, Polkadot uses an advanced mechanism that allows every nominator to choose up to 16 validators. From these, only a few validators will manage to get admitted into the active set during election that takes place every year, which is roughly around a day on Polkadot. By choosing 16 validators, nominators give themselves higher chances to obtain maximum rewards. This is because the relay chain on which you stake your tokens has a protocol that optimizes the staking process for all nominators and validators to ensure maximum security. The details of this action are too technical, so I will offer only a basic summary of its core functionalities as follows. Maximize nominator participation. 
the algorithm or protocol maximizes a nominator's participation in consensus by selecting at least one of the nominator's validators for every era. An era is a measure of time in blockchain that is denominated in number of blocks produced. A bit like how we humans have days. 6 hours on Kusama and 24 hours on Polkadot. When a nominator selects 16 validators, this mechanism ensures that at least one of those 16 will be in the active set. Minimize the risk of centralization. This is achieved through game theory. It is natural that humans seek that which is most certain, which often is the most popular of all available options. For example, if many nominators choose one validator, then other nominators will be inclined to choose the same validator. And this is how centralization occurs, since the validator ends up with more power over the network than originally sought. To mitigate this risk, the staking protocol pays equal rewards to all validators regardless of the weight of their stake or the number of validators packing them. But validators with many nominators will pay out less rewards per dot staked overall. In the end, only nominators that are staking the most dots with these popular validators will get the biggest share of the rewards, while nominators who haven't staked a lot of dots will get much less, or not at all depending on how oversubscribed the validator is. The number of nominators who get rewards in such a situation is dynamic and will vary over time. This is intended as a mechanism to force every nominator to constantly review their nominations and ensure that they are getting maximum rewards for their network participation. How to nominate The first step to nomination is to get your DOT tokens, for which you need an account and a wallet. You can use wallets like Polkadot.js, Fairless, Talisman, Nova, Polka Wallet, and many other ecosystem wallets. One thing to remember is that after you bond your funds for staking, you will fall under a mandatory unbonding period of 28 days, meaning that from the moment you choose to unstake and withdraw your tokens, it will take you 28 days to get your tokens back. To avoid this inconvenience, you can stake with a third party that will give you more freedom as some centralized exchanges allow you to instantly withdraw your stake. A more preferred solution will be to use a decentralized platform that gives you a derivative token when you stake your DOTs. For example, you can stake your DOTs using Akala, more on them later, and receive LDOTs which is short for liquid DOT. The difference between DOT and the derivative token LDOT is LDOT earns staking rewards while remaining available for use on DeFi protocols across the ecosystem such that when you go to swap your L dots back to dots, you will have more dots than you did before. L dot isn't the only token that serves this function. There are other parachains that offer the same liquid staking service, but with different names for their tokens. Bifrost's V dot and Parallel Finance X dot to name a few. The real work of nominating comes down to selecting your 16 validators. If you are staking via a third-party platform, then you don't need to go through this process. However, if you are staking on your own, then you will need to learn how to select the right validators. Selecting the right validators Selecting the right validator is a crucial process because of the reality of slashing. If you choose a validator who acts maliciously, then you are at risk of losing your hard-earned tokens, which will be a tragedy. Another reason you want to select the right validators is to maximize your staking rewards. Some validators will allow you to earn more than others and it is your job to maximize your own rewards. When selecting the right validators, there are a couple of things that you will need to consider. Validators skin in the game. 
It's hard for someone to act maliciously or carelessly when they have something to lose. This is also referred to as skin in the game. If a validator doesn't have any tokens in his own stash, then it means that he has nothing to lose if he gets slashed, but his nominators will be bearing the consequences of his action. If he gets rewarded, however, he will get to keep some chunky rewards. Thus, it is not advisable to put your stake on the validator with no or low self-stake unless you trust that they won't act maliciously or carelessly. Validator's Identity It is hard for someone to act maliciously when their identity is known by everyone on the network. Of course, this isn't going to save you from every validator's mistake, but it is a reliable rule of thumb to use. People who display their identity on chain are more trustworthy than those who don't because their reputation is on the line. In the case of someone with an on-chain identity, you can reach out to them to find out what is going on in the event that you have concerns about transactions. However, some shady validators can get slashed and decide to spin off a new validator account with a new identity, which would probably be the same as the original, only with a few details changed. Validators Commission For greater profitability, it is wiser to choose validators with lowest commissions. A validator with 50% commission will take 50% of all staking rewards, leaving only 50% to be shared between nominators. One with a 10% commission will take only 10% of all rewards, which certainly makes the latter much more profitable. Validators slashing history. It is natural to make a decision about a person or entity based on past performance. In the case of validators, you don't want to nominate validators that have had multiple slashes in the past. However, sometimes validators can be at the receiving end of slashing events that are entirely not their fault. The network can sometimes run into problems that cause honest and diligent validators to get penalized. For more information on the safest way to nominate validators, check out how to nominate page on Polkadot Wiki. Collators While validators create and confirm blocks for the relay chain, the collators create and confirm blocks for the parachains. Keep in mind that the same mechanisms are at play on parachains, babe and grandpa. You can think of collators as parachain validators because they have to run a full node of the parachain as well as the relay chain. When collators on a parachain agree on new parachain blocks, they forward these blocks to relay chain validators for inclusion into the relay chain. This way, verified transaction blocks submitted by collators are further verified by validators and added to the relay chain, with relay chain validators assigned to parachains at random. For example, in the first era which lasts X number of blocks, validators V1, V2, and V3 are assigned to parachain A. This means that the collectors of parachain A will forward their transactions to V1, V2, and V3, leaving all the other validators free to verify transactions from other parachains. When these validators are done verifying, they propose their verified transactions to the rest of the validators on the relay chain for further verification before the transactions are added to the relay chain. Remember that most of this is fairly automatic. The validators don't know beforehand on which parachain they will be working. At the end of the era, validators V1, V2 and V3 will be rotated away from parachain E so that a new set of validators will be verifying transactions on parachain E for the duration of the second era. This process strengthens network security by minimizing and containing the risk of collusion between collectors and validators. 
For example, if there was an attack during an era, this attack will be countered by honest validators at the beginning of the following era. We'll stop here for today. Next week, we'll continue with fourth chapter, Governing the Network. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on the rest of the book. Toodaloo!